Hey, good morning, everybody, and uh, welcome to the Medina East Campus of Grace Church. And uh, kind of like Steve just mentioned a moment ago, if you are, uh, this is your first time with us, if you're a guest with us, especially here today, I uh, really want to just extend a really special welcome to you. Thanks for coming and checking out Grace. We're glad that you're here. And, uh, and hopefully, um, after the service is done, we, we would encourage you not to jet too quick. Uh, hopefully, you get a chance to stick around. We would love to, to meet you. I would love to meet you uh, if we haven't had a chance to do that yet. And uh, like Steve said, we actually have a gift for you if you are a guest with us. So thanks for hanging out and uh, we're glad that you're here. But if it is your first time here, or maybe if you weren't here last week, what you might not know is that we're actually in a series right now, a series of conversations that's kind of taken us through the Christmas season uh, that we have entitled Behold. And so as you can tell from our graphics, that's kind of what we're talking about in this series together is we're entitling this conversation Behold. And really what's behind that, if, if you were with us last week, you might remember, as we said, the word behold is actually a really fascinating word. We said the word behold is um, a word that I think all of us are probably familiar with to some extent or another, even though it's a word that we don't usually use in our day-to-day -day language, it's a word that we're probably familiar with. But what you might not know about this word behold is that actually it is a deeply uh, biblical word. In fact, the word behold Behold itself shows up in the pages of the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, over a thousand times. Uh, you're going to see the word behold. And what's really interesting is we said that when you get to the birth of Jesus in the Bible, kind of the Christmas story, there's an increased frequency of this term. The word behold shows up quite a bit uh, in, in kind of the Christmas story. And so what we said was this. We said the reason that we thought this was a great title uh, for this conversation that we're having over the Christmas season during the series is we said it's because the word behold, um, and the way it's used in the Bible is actually a little bit stronger than the way that we might think in our English language. And so let, let me just kind of give you an example. Last week we looked at this definition. We said a biblical definition of the word behold would, would be something like this. The word behold in the Bible is actually a demonstrative term that literally means to fill up the eye. Okay, so what does it mean to behold when the Bible says to behold something? It's this idea of filling up the eye, which is actually really fascinating if you think about it because what does that mean to fill up the eye? Well, that means to... to um, gaze intently upon something, right? So it's not just like a casual glance or just like looking at something quickly. This is the idea of like really stopping and paying attention to something, right? The, the idea behind it is this, it's pause, right? It's like stop for a minute and it's pay attention and don't miss this. It's sort of like if you think about, I think a, a painting would be a good illustration it's easy to glance at a painting or to pass by a painting every day, but there's something different when you behold that. Right? When you actually pause for a moment and pay attention and look intently at something, and so you can kind of see the meaning and the significance that lies behind it. And the reason we said we thought that this was such a great title for this series of conversations is because we said that, man, Christmas, I, I'm sure you have found this and I have found this, I think all of us have found this to be the case. Christmas is one of those things that you can be deeply familiar with, right? All of us are familiar with Christmas. Christmas is one of those things that you can be completely surrounded by, which we are this time of year, right? Christmas is everywhere. It's on our radios and it's on our televisions and it's in our homes and it's in the stores and it's everywhere that you look. And it's possible to be completely surrounded by Christmas and still yet go through this entire season without ever pausing, without ever actually paying attention and truly beholding 
what the true meaning of what we celebrate this time of year is all about. It's very easy to do. In fact, many people do it, right? It's easy to go through this season and get so caught up in all of the trappings of Christmas and all of the shopping and the kids and the celebrations and all the hecticness of the season, which is all fun and it's all great, but yet it's possible to do all of that and still totally miss Christmas, miss what it is that we're truly selling, to, to not pause to really press your heart and your mind and your attention down on what it means that Jesus Christ was born, what it is that we really celebrate. And so what we're doing uh, through this series then is we said, here's what we wanna do. We just together as a church family and as a community is each week, we actually just wanna do this. We wanna, we wanna in this holiday season, during this Christmas season, we wanna take uh, at least th- this time that we have on the weekends to just behold together. Uh, we wanna pause and pay attention, even right now, right, just to pause in the midst of all the Christmas crazy stuff that's going on right now, to pause and to really press our hearts and our minds and our attention, to fill up our eye with the true meaning that Jesus Christ was born and the implications of what that means in our life. So that's what we're kind of doing in the series. And if you were with us last week when we kind of introduced this, we said what's really interesting is that when you truly behold Christmas, when you do that, when you pause and, and you pay attention to the true meaning that Jesus was born, we said that you actually find something surprising, and that's this, that Christmas is actually more wonderful than you can ever imagine. And at the very same time, it's more threatening than you might initially realize. And that when you begin to put your mind down on, on, on the reality that Jesus Christ was born and the implications of what that means, it is more beautiful and wonderful than you can imagine, but it's also deeply threatening. In fact, this is where we left off the conversation last week. If you were here, we actually left off by saying this. We said that when you truly behold Christmas, you find that it requires that I admit something about myself, that I recognize something about God, and that I respond to the implications of that reality in my life. That when you really behold what it means that Christ was born, that you're gonna find that it requires that you admit something about yourself, that you recognize something about God, and that you respond, that you have to live differently as a result of Christmas. And so again, if you missed last week's conversation, by the way, I would really encourage you, you can rewind and go listen to that if you want to. Uh, if you go to our website or our podcast, you can download that, you can watch that. Uh, all of that, of course, is for free. And if you wanna gain access to that, I think there's some information in your program about our website, and so you can visit that, and you'll find some more information there, okay? But today what we're gonna do as we continue kind of through this conversation of what it means to behold Christmas, I wanna talk about one of the major themes that oftentimes surrounds this time of year, and quite honestly, it's one of the major themes that we see in the birth of Jesus, the story of the birth of Jesus. And the theme I'm talking about that I wanna talk about today is I wanna talk about the theme of light, Okay, so we're gonna talk a little bit today about the idea of light. All of us have heard, all of us know, we've all seen it on Christmas cards, that the message of Christmas is that Jesus Christ was born as a light into darkness, that Jesus is the light of the world. We're probably familiar with that terminology, but let's just take some time and really think about that. What does it mean to say that Christmas is about a light that has come into the darkness? So that's what I wanna talk about. And to do that, I wanna encourage you to grab your Bibles with me if you got them. We're actually gonna go to the Old Testament today, and I wanna take you to Isaiah chapter nine. Okay, so Isaiah nine is where we're gonna be uh, planting ourselves here this morning. So you can go ahead and grab your Bibles and get there. And what you're gonna find in Isaiah chapter nine as you're finding that 
is you're gonna find one of the most famous passages that's oftentimes associated with Christmas. So the passage we're gonna see in Isaiah 9 is, is printed on numerous amounts of Christmas cards. It's on Christmas decorations. It's in Christmas shows and movies. Uh, this passage is one that was quoted even in the video that we just watched before I got up here on, on the stage. And so very, very famous Christmas passage here in Isaiah chapter nine that we're gonna look at together. And by the way, if you did not bring a Bible with you here this morning, that's not a problem. You can use one of ours. Turn to page 479 in those black uh, hardback Bibles that should be in the chairs uh, somewhere around you. And then, of course, if you don't own a Bible, like if you just do not own a Bible at all, uh, we would actually encourage you to take one of ours, make that a gift from us to you. We think it'd be really good. So Isaiah 9, meet you there. However you get there, that's great. And as you're turning uh, to Isaiah 9, again, uh, like I said, I think one of the major themes around this time of year is, uh, is that of light, right? And I don't know about you guys, but I know for myself, one of the most exciting features about Christmas is the lights. I love Christmas lights, absolutely love them. And I always get so excited this time of year uh, whenever, you know, after Thanksgiving passes and you start to see the Christmas lights coming on people's homes and in the neighborhood, I love that, I love that. And i just tell you, I don't know if this is true or not, but I have, I don't know about you, I have never met anybody who hates Christmas lights. I've met, I've met a, a lot of people who have their beef with Christmas, right? I've met people who don't like the commercialization of Christmas or maybe, you know, they've experienced loss or, or trauma in their family or in their life and it makes Christmas a hard time of year. And I understand all of that, but I have yet to meet someone who's just like, dude, I hate Christmas lights. Like, I've never met that person, right? Everyone I know loves Christmas lights. And I don't know if it's because um, they come during the darkest and coldest time of year, right? I don't know if it's because there's such a wave of nostalgia that comes with Christmas lights. I don't know if it's just because we as humans are like uh, just instinctually drawn to light. Like we want to look at light. I don't know what it is, but man, everyone I know loves Christmas lights. And so this time of year when the Christmas lights come up, I'll find that I take the long way around the neighborhood to look at the Christmas lights. I'll get, we'll get the kids in the van and we'll drive around. And there's something kind of magical about it, right? Looking at the Christmas lights. And this past week, um, when my family and I were driving around looking at Christmas lights, this thought occurred to me. I actually started to recognize, I don't know if you guys noticed this, that there are a, a, a bunch of different categories of Christmas light decorations. You guys ever noticed this before? And so it got me thinking, I, I, was, I was actually just gonna ask you, what, what's your category of Christmas light decoration if you're someone who decorates, right? So let me just give you a, a couple examples. I was thinking about this first one. This first one I would call, I would call this simple but sweet, okay? So this would be a category simple and sweet. And what I mean by that is, uh, you know, this is just, it's, it's not extravagant, it's not crazy, right? Not lavish, nothing out of control. It's just kind of simple and sweet. You know, they, they put some time and thought into this. It's not like it's a complete throwaway, but it's just, you know, it's nice, it's tasteful, simple and sweet, right? And so let me just ask you real quick, how many of you put yourself in that, that category? You're like, yeah, I put up Christmas lights. I don't go crazy. It's just simple and sweet, right? And I've put myself in that category. I think our Christmas decorations, if I do it right, takes us about an hour to put them up, the lights, and an hour to take down. So it's, you know, simple and sweet. It's funny, I was thinking about this uh, this past week, and I noticed a lot of people in my neighborhood have those. Do you guys ever see those um, laser light uh, projectors people put on their houses? I saw, I thought, man, is that not the laziest Christmas light Ever is genius. If you're doing that, you are so much smarter than all of us, right? So, so category one, we would call that simple and sweet. Here, here's category two. I call this one OCD light person, all right? Maybe this is you, right? This is the 
every light has to be specifically spaced between the other. It's like looks professionally done, extremely classy, right? Out of curiosity, all the same color. Out of curiosity, anyone in this category, anyone an OCD light person? I see some people nudging people, so that, I don't know if that's a thing. All right, so that's a category, right? That's a category, I guess you don't want to admit it. I don't know why. All right, how about this one? All right, so last, two, last night's services, we had no one in this category. I'm curious if we have one in this service. Do we have any full-on Griswold people? Like, I mean, where you go nuts. Do we have anyone in that category? Anyone who's like, okay, we got one. Someone who's like in this category here, it's incredible. So, I mean, this, is, this picture's insane. I don't know where one decoration starts and the other one ends, and you could probably see this on satellite imagery. I don't know, this is nuts, right? So how about this level? I call this uh, college dorm room level. Anyone here? <laughs> I don't know if you can tell on this one. This is actually one strand of lights that's pinned up against the wall in the shape of a Christmas tree. So space saver. Yeah, anyone, anyone uh, college student or apartment people? Okay, no, no one in this service. All right, how about this one? I call this one the humorous category. I love this, this is great. See, it's like, the neighbor is full on Griswold, and these, these people over here are just, they're just, they win, because they're funny, so. That's, and then there's some, light, some lights, I don't know if you guys have ever seen, where I, I just don't know what category to put them in. So that would be something like this. I don't know if you guys can see what this is. So that, if you can't tell, that's two Christmas deer, or reindeer, Christmas deer, that's not, that's not even a thing. And one of them has red lights coming from its neck, so I guess I'd put that in the category of morbid. I don't know where to put that. And then this last one, I just thought I'd show you. For all the Stranger Things, any Stranger Things fans out there, okay, if you're a Stranger Things fan, this one's for you. I thought this might be a good Christmas light decoration, so there you go. But, but here's what I know. Regardless of like what category you might put yourself in uh, regarding Christmas lights, it is a major theme during this season. And what we said last week, what I thought was so interesting, is we said that the tradition of Christmas lights, if you didn't know this, actually finds its origins back in the 1600s uh, with Martin Luther, who was the father of the Protestant Reformation. And Christmas lights, the, the original tradition was actually based off of a spiritual truth that was trying to be illustrated. And the spiritual truth that Martin Luther was illustrating was that Christmas is about the light of the world, uh, that the birth of Jesus is a light that is shining in the darkness. And so Christmas lights are, are centered around that theme, at least they're intended to be traditionally. And that tradition, that, that reality is actually the one that we see that's based off of this passage in Isaiah chapter nine. In fact, this is the hallmark passage that talks about Jesus being the light of the world. So let's take a look at it together. This is in Isaiah chapter nine, and here's, here's what Isaiah says. We'll start off in verse one. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. All right, so let me just pause there for a minute. So verse one, you can probably tell, is full of a bunch of history and historical, uh, historical information, and it's full of geographical locations that you maybe are not familiar with, that maybe we're not familiar with as modern-day readers. But what you probably are familiar with is what Isaiah goes on to say next, because what Isaiah says next is quite possibly one of the most famous Christmas verses in the entire Old Testament, and it's this. It says this, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has 
Let me just pause there for a moment before we, we look at some of the context around Isaiah and, and just mention, I think it's probably worth mentioning, the book of Isaiah uh, that we're reading is written by a guy named Isaiah. And this was written about seven, approximately 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And Isaiah, if you're not a Bible person, Isaiah was actually something uh, that, that, that Bible people call a prophet. He was a prophet. And what a prophet was is a prophet was someone who was basically like a spokesperson. They would speak on behalf of God. And they would deliver a message from God to God's people. And it would either be a message of warning or it would be a message of hope. And here in Isaiah chapter 9, we see that Isaiah is delivering to God's people a message of hope. And while I think it's important to mention that what we read here in Isaiah uh, did have an immediate fulfillment to, to, to what Isaiah writes, what's really important is that the Bible actually goes on to tell us when you get to the New Testament that there is an ultimate fulfillment to this passage. There's an ultimate fulfillment to this message of hope that Isaiah is bringing. When Isaiah says that the people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and on those living in a land of deep darkness, a light has dawned, the Bible's gonna tell us in the New Testament, in fact, in Matthew chapter four, it's gonna tell us that this is actually speaking about and is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That this passage right here is actually talking about Christmas. It's talking about the birth and the life of Jesus. That the birth of Jesus is a light, a great light that has come into the darkness. And those living in the land of deep darkness will see this great light that has dawned. And by the way, uh, this, this imagery that's used, that Jesus is the light in darkness or he is the light of the world, is not just exclusive to Isaiah chapter nine. This actually shows up all throughout the New Testament. And so let me give you a couple other examples. In the Gospel of John, for, for instance, when John gives his account of the Christmas story of the birth of Jesus, here's how he describes the birth of Jesus. John says this. He says, the true light, and he's talking of Jesus, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So this is how John describes the Christmas story. He says, what's Christmas like? He says, the true light that gives light to the world was entering into the world. In fact, Jesus himself in John chapter 8 actually says about himself, I am the light of the world. And so over and over again, you're going to see in the Bible that there's this imagery where Jesus is the light. And, and again, my guess is whether you're a Bible person or not, whether you're a church person or not, my guess is that this language is probably not something you're unfamiliar with. You probably have heard that before, right? You've probably heard religious people say that Jesus is the light of the world. You've probably heard songs that call Jesus the light. You probably have seen on Christmas cards that a light has entered into darkness. And so we're all familiar with that. But, but, but what we wanna do today, like I said, is we just want to truly take a moment to pause and to pay attention and behold, let's behold, what does that really mean? If we're saying, if what we're saying is that, G, that Christmas is the celebration of the birth of Jesus, of the light coming into the darkness, that he's the light of the world, what does that mean and what are the implications of that, right? And so that's what I wanna kind of take some time and behold together. And to do that, let me just tell you what I hope to do with the rest of our time. For the rest of our time, I actually wanna talk under three headings, just three simple headings, and here they are. So, so number one, I wanna talk about the meaning of the light. So just, just real simple, what does it mean when we say that Jesus is the light of the world? What is the meaning of that? Number two, I wanna talk about the source of the light, the source, so where does this light come from? And then number three, I think this passage is gonna show us the hope slash threat of the light. The hope and or the threat of the light. And so this is my hope. If you need a conversational map, this is where we're going today. So let's go ahead and just start at the very top. And let's take a, just a couple, I don't think it's, we need to spend too much time on this, but let's just talk for a moment about the meaning of the light. 
Uh, now again, I don't think we need to spend too much time on this because I think some of it makes sense, but um, you know, it's really interesting. If you go through your Bible, what you'll find is that all throughout the pages of scripture, there, the metaphor of, of uh, light and darkness is found all over the place. Uh, the Bible uses this imagery in several different places. And when the Bible uses the illustration or the metaphor of light and darkness, it usually means one of two, if not both things. Okay, so let's kind of get our minds around it. So in one sense, when the Bible talks about light and dark, what it's speaking about oftentimes is it's actually talking about right and wrong. And so, and so in the Bible, you're gonna find some passages where it talks about the darkness as being that which is morally wrong or evil, and where it talks about the light being that which is morally right or godly or upstanding, right? So just give you one quick example on this. In the book of Galatians, for example, it says that we should not walk in the sinful, fruitless deeds of the darkness. What's that talking about? It's talking about moral corruption, Light and dark, light and dark. And so in one sense, when the Bible talks about light and dark, that's what it's talking about. It's talking about good and evil. Uh, but that's not, the only, um, that's not the only sense that comes along with light and darkness because what you're gonna see is in other passages of scripture, the imagery of light and darkness also refers to this. Darkness uh, would represent the state of ignorance, lostness, and confusion, and then light would be the source of clarity, guidance, and understanding. Okay, so, so it's this idea of being lost and, and then illumination, being able to see, having clarity. And again, I don't think, um, this, this, this imagery and this language of light and dark is actually pretty similar, if you think about it, to the way that we will sometimes use it in our culture. Think about some of the things that we'll say. We'll say things like this, hey man, don't leave me in the dark. Don't leave me in the dark. And what do we mean when we say that? What we're saying is, dude, you gotta fill me in, right? I don't, don't leave me in, ignorant, in a state of ignorance. You have to let me know what's going on. Don't leave me in the dark. Or how about this? We'll say this in our culture. We'll say things like, um, enlighten me, right? En enlighten me. And what are we actually saying? We're saying, um, give me some clarity. Help me to understand something. Or how about this? Um, let's shed some light on that topic. Let's shed some light. What are we saying? Give me some clarity. Help me have some understanding on this, okay? So, so listen, when the Bible says that Jesus is the light who is shining in the darkness, what does that mean then? All right, so here's the meaning. Plain and simple, here's what the meaning is. To say that we are in darkness is basically to say that all of us, every single person, who, every human being throughout the history of time, that all of us are in a state of darkness, that we are all in the state of ignorance, lostness, and confusion. That's what it is to say that we're in the dark. In other words, I'll put it this way. When the Bible says that we are in darkness, that each of us are in darkness, what that's saying is that we're all confused, that all of us are trying to, to figure out uh, the meaning of life, that all of us are trying to find the source of joy, uh, the source of fulfillment. We're all trying to find the best way to live our lives and that none of us know how to do that. We're all just stumbling around trying to figure it out. And all we're doing is giving our best guesses and our best bets of what we think it is, but no one really knows for sure. Right? So that's what it means that we're in darkness. Now to call Jesus the light, when the Bible says that he's the light, what's that saying about Jesus? That's saying this. It's saying that Jesus is the source of clarity, of guidance and understanding. It's basically declaring that Jesus is the way in which we can truly find meaning, and which we can truly find joy, and which we can truly find fulfillment in that which we were made for, right? 
And so that, that again, just plain and simple, that is the meaning of the light. That's what it means when we say that Jesus is the light of the world. And that leads me to the second thing, though. And the second thing I want to talk about is this. I'm going to talk for a second now about the source of the light, the source of the light. Now, you're like, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by the source of the light? Well, let me, let me try to explain it this way. I don't know if you guys have ever noticed this time of year. Um, I've noticed this. Did you ever notice how during the Christmas season, we are bombarded by these little soundbite phrases about what Christmas is? You ever notice this? We hear it on the radio. We, hear it, we see it on the TV. Um, we, it's actually printed on the, thi- the things you purchase. Like you'll find it on a Starbucks cup. But they're these little statements that, that are, I, for lack of a better term, they're like doctrinal statements that are telling you this is what Christmas is all about, right? You see them on the Christmas cards. So let me just give you a couple examples. I actually went onto Google. I typed in famous Christmas quotes. And I just found a list of Christmas quotes that are very famous. They're printed on Christmas cards. They're put on Christmas decorations. People put them on inspirational quotes and then put them on pallet boards on their, in their living room, those type of things, right? And let me just show you a couple of them. So here's one. Uh, Dale Evans, she said this. She said, Christmas, my child, and some of you may have heard this before because it's a very famous quote. Christmas, my child, is love in action. Every time we love, every time we give, it's Christmas, right? And so it's a little sound bite, but it's, 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 a, it's, it's a doctrinal statement. It's telling us something about what the true meaning of Christmas is. Hey, man, every time you love, every time you give, that's what Christmas is all about, right? And that's, that's heartwarming and it's inspirational. How about this one? This one comes from Charles Schultz, um, the uh, creator of Peanuts, the cartoon. He said, Christmas is doing a little something extra for someone. What is Christmas? He says, here's what it is. It's, do, it's doing something a little extra for someone, right? Ah, it's Christmas. Let's go a little extra for someone, right? I don't usually tip 25% to the server, but ah, it's Christmas. You know, I don't usually hang out with the in-laws, but ah, oh, it's Christmas, right? Or whatever. How about this one? Christmas, uh, this is Calvin Coolidge. Christmas is not a time nor a season, but a state of mind. To cherish, see that? It's not a time, it's not a season, it's a state of mind. To cherish peace and goodwill, to be plenteous in mercy, is to have the real spirit of Christmas. Jerry Seinfeld said this. He said, that's the true spirit of Christmas, people being helped by people other than me. <laughs> and, and, and here's the thing I, I want you to see. All of these quotes are these little statements, and they're all declaring something about Christmas, and they warm our hearts, and they're inspirational, and we print them and put them on Christmas cards and all of those type of things. But here's what I want you to notice. All of these quotes that I showed you, and I could give you a litany of other quotes, and I'm sure you could give me some too, and these things, they actually all have one uh, kind of common thread in common. They're all essentially saying the same thing, right? And what is it that they're actually saying? Well, if I could put it in my own words, I would say it this way. What these are all basically saying is this. We all know that the world is a dark place. We all know that. It's, that's, that's no surprise to anyone, man. You just flip on the news, everyone can see the world is a very dark place. But what all of these are saying is the way to overcome the darkness the, the, the way that we're gonna find light in the darkness is that if we can just love each other a little more and if we can just give a little more and if we can just try a little harder to get along and to, and to agree to really just care and have goodwill for one another, 
then we can overcome the darkness. We can overcome the darkness. It actually reminds me a little bit of, uh, do you guys remember that, um, this is not a Christmas song, and this is totally gonna date me, but do you guys remember that song that came out, I think it was in the mid-80s, and it was, like a, it was like a collaborative project by that group called Band-Aid, and they were trying to solve, uh, like they were trying to raise money for world hunger, and, and they were trying to, to raise money for that, and so they had all of these different artists come together to make the song, We Are the World. You guys remember We Are the World? And if you, I think it's still popular, I think it's still playing on the radio, but do you guys remember what the chorus of We Are the World says? And let me just kind of show it to you. Here's what it says. It says, we are the world, we are the children, we are the ones who make a brighter day, so let's start giving, right? There's a choice we're making. We're saving our own lives. It's true, we'll make a better day, just you and me. Right? You probably have it in your head right now. We are the world. I always think of Bruce Springsteen. He's like, we are, he's got that real. If you haven't seen it, YouTube it. You'll laugh, it's great. So, so, but this song, as catchy as it is and as, as um, inspiring as it is, do you see what the, what the message is, the underlying message? Here's the message. We're the world, we're the children, we will make the brighter day. We're gonna save ourselves. Together, we're gonna make it better just you and me, just you and me. Do you see what that message is declaring? It's saying that the light of the world comes from the world. The way to overcome the darkness is that we can do it if we try hard enough. Now, here's what I want you to hear me say, okay? I say all of that to say this, that that message, that message that we hear all this time of year, that the, that the true hope of humanity is that we can just love each other and that it can be a brighter day if we work a little harder and give a little more, that message is not only a little different from the, the message of the birth of Jesus, it is diametrically opposed to what the birth of Jesus is actually teaching us. Because what is, what is the birth of Jesus saying? Here's what the birth of Jesus is saying. The birth of Jesus is saying is that the light of the world does not come from the world. It doesn't come from us. It doesn't come from our ability to just pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and love a little bit more and try a little harder. It says, no, the light comes from outside of the world. This light has to come from God. This light isn't generated from within. Let me explain it this way. If you look back at our passage for a moment, I just want you to look at our passage in Isaiah chapter nine. Do you notice the very first word that Isaiah chapter nine verse one starts with? Do you notice the word, say it with me? It's the word nevertheless, right? Say it nevertheless, it's the word. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. Now, why is it important that we look at this word? Well, the reason is because the word nevertheless is referring back to something that was just spoken about. And what was just said prior to this, well, let's just take a look. If you leaf back just a page to Isaiah chapter eight, just the, the, just the, the chapter previous to Isaiah chapter nine, I want you to notice how Isaiah ends Isaiah chapter eight. We'll start off in verse 19. He says, when someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, right, now let me just pause there for a minute and explain this. Okay, so Isaiah says, when someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists, now what is that talking about? Well, it's probably worth mentioning back in this time, it would have been very normal if a person was seeking out guidance or they were seeking out clarity in decision-making or which course to take with their life, the way that they would go about consulting um, uh, counsel is they would go to mediums and spiritists, right? They would go to astrologers. They would go to uh, people like that, which um, people still do that today. I don't think it's nearly as socially as normative as it would have been back in this time. But essentially what he's saying is uh, that people, when they were trying to seek advice and clarity on something or direction in life, they would go to the conventional wisdom of their time. That's where they would go. And so it says, 
When someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not people inquire of their God? Shouldn't you, shouldn't you talk to God? And then he says, um, he says, why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, look at this, they have no light of dawn. They have no light. Now watch what he says next. This is really important. Distressed and hungry, they're gonna roam through the land and when they're famished, they'll become, in, they'll become enraged and looking upward, they're gonna curse their king and their God. And then they're gonna look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom and they'll be thrust into utter darkness. Now let me explain a little bit what's going on here. Here you see God's people, you see the Israelites, and the Bible says that they are in a very dark place, very dark place as a nation, as a people. The Bible says that they're experiencing famine, that they are crushed by social and psychological problems. And the Bible says that they're in a really dark spot. But I want you to notice what else it says. It says that in the midst of their darkness, where is it that they're looking to try to find direction and clarity. The Bible says this, they were looking to the earth. They're looking to the earth. What does that mean? It means that they're looking to themselves to try to find the way out of, they're looking to spiritists and they're looking to mediums and they're looking to politics and they're looking to intellectualism and they're looking to psychology and they're looking to all of these other things that are saying, we know that we're in a dark place but the way to overcome this darkness, the way for us to truly overcome and progress and find fulfillment and find joy and all of those things is that we can figure it out ourselves. They were looking to the earth. And all the while, the Bible says, while they were looking to the earth, they were at the same time looking upward towards God and they were cursing their God and their king. In other words, they were saying, God, we don't need you. We don't need your guidance. We don't need your instructions. We don't need your law. We don't need any of these things. We're gonna figure it out on our own because we are the world. We are the children. <laughs> That's basically what they were saying. Now, now listen, here, here's the thing. And the Bible says, I want you to notice that when they were doing this, that as they were looking towards the earth and as they were rejecting God, the Bible says that it only led to greater darkness. It led them to greater confusion and it led them to greater darkness. Now, Here's the thing. I don't think it takes much for me to convince you that the situation that we see here in Isaiah chapter eight is not too dissimilar from what we see today, right? Just think about it. Um, all of us know we're in darkness. All of us know that the world is a dark place. We know that. But where are we looking to find light? Where are we looking to find progress, to find hope, to find joy? See, as a society, as a whole, what we've done is we've basically said the same thing. We look to God and we say, we don't need you anymore. We don't need you. Your directions, your instructions, your ways are regressive. Some people would say they're oppressive. Some people would say that they're antiquated or outdated or whatever, right? And what do we do instead? We look to the earth. We say the way that we're gonna overcome the darkness I know what it is. If we have the right political leader and the right political agenda in place, then we will overcome the darkness. The reason there's such great darkness is because we have the wrong leader. We have the wrong, we have the wrong agenda. And so if we can just get the right thing in place, then we can progress. Then we can advance. Then we will find joy. Then we will overcome the darkness. Then the world won't be a dark place anymore. And many, many people put their hope in those things. They put their hope in the political system. Some people would look and say, no, there's no hope in the political system. The whole thing's absolutely broken. But they would look to intellectualism. 
And they would say, yeah, forget God, all that stuff is crazy. You know what, it, the, the, the real answer to progress and the real answer to joy and fulfillment, the way we're gonna overcome the darkness is through intellectual advancement, scientific advancement, technological advancement. And if we can just progress in these ways, then we will eventually overcome the darkness we see in the world. So people would look and say, psychology, man, that's it. It's, it's psychology. If we can just dig, dig deeper into the inner workings and psyche of a person, and we can deal with the wounds of childhood and overcome those things, then we can overcome the pain and the hurt and the darkness we see in the world. Some people would look to religion. Religion is the way that we overcome the darkness. If we can just become better people, work harder and, 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 and modify our behaviors, then we'll do that, right? And again, I think what the Bible is gonna tell us is that the hope of Christmas is this. The light does not come from the world. It doesn't come from us. It doesn't come from our, now it's, it's a great thing to have better politics and to have better uh, technological insight. It's a great thing for the, but that's not the light. That's not the hope. And the Bible would say that any attempt to try to overcome darkness apart from God is only gonna lead to greater confusion, to greater ignorance and to greater darkness and to greater pain. Right. And, and to say that, I think when you understand that, that's what leads me to the third thing. Because when you get that, I think you begin to understand that to call Jesus the light of the world is both an incredible hope, but it's an incredible threat at the same time. And why is that? Why is it such a hope and why is it such a threat? Well, I think when you begin to understand that Jesus is the light of the world, you realize that it is a hope beyond what we could believe to all of humanity but it's a deeply threatening thing. And the reason, we said this last week, is that when you really behold this, when you behold that Jesus is the light of the world, it requires that first off, you have to admit something about it. You're gonna have to admit something about yourself. To truly and sincerely declare that Jesus is the light of the world, you're going to have to admit something about yourself. And what do you have to admit? You're actually gonna have to admit something about yourself and the world that quite honestly is a little bit sobering and it's a little bit insulting. And what's that? Here's what I have to admit. I'm in the dark. I am in the dark. I do not, I am lost. I am confused. I don't know the way to true joy. I don't know the way to fulfillment. I don't know the way to the meaning. In other words, for me to, for me to behold that Jesus is a light requires that I essentially have to admit this. I essentially have to admit I am not the most qualified person to define and direct my own life that I'm not the best qualified person to call the shots in my life because I am in the darkness. And I'm just telling you, that is not an easy thing to admit. It's just not. So we have to admit something about ourselves. We have to recognize something about God. What do we have to recognize? Here's what we have to recognize. That if Jesus is the light of the world that does not come from the world but is outside of the world, that means that he is exclusively the only light. That he's not like, one light among many other lights, that he's it. That is basically to say that the only path to joy and to fulfillment and to meaning in this life is only found in Jesus, and that's it. And any other attempt to try to find joy and meaning and significance in those things apart from Jesus is only gonna lead me to greater darkness. And once again, that is a very, very difficult thing to recognize. It's not always a very acceptable thing to recognize that. And then at the end of the day, what that means to, to recognize that Jesus is the light of the world requires that we then respond. We have to respond to the implications. We have to respond to that. If he's the light and I'm in darkness, that's gonna change the way I live. It has to, it has to. So practically speaking, what does that mean? Well, I think practically, 
What that looks like is like this. I think it means that whenever you find yourself at a crossroads, okay, so whenever you find yourself when there's a fork in the road and there is a crisis between what you want and what God wants, whenever what you want and what God wants is different, when, when, when there's, you know, when you find yourself in a position like that, what does it mean to declare that Jesus is the light of the world? I think what it means is this. You have to admit, okay, well, I'm in darkness, and so what I want must not be what's best. Therefore, in faith and obedience, I'm going to listen to Jesus. Why? Because he is the light of the world. I think practically speaking, that's what it means. I think, I think what this means is to, to declare that Jesus is the light of the world, I think for those of us who follow Jesus, and again, I, I don't, um, by the way, I don't, I don't, I, I, I fully understand that maybe not everyone in here today does follow Jesus. Some of you might still be investigating the whole Jesus thing. And, and by the way, if that's the case, we say this all the time, we genuinely count it an honor that you would let us be part of your investigation. We know you could be doing anything else with your time. So we're really glad that you're here. But for those who follow Jesus, I think what it means to declare that Jesus is the light of the world is that we have to perpetually be putting to death something I call the I know buts. You guys know what I mean by I know buts? Probably not, so let me, let me explain what I mean by here. So, so I know, but, so I'm a pastor. That's probably no surprise to anyone in this room, or maybe it is a surprise, I don't know. And so uh, one of the things I have the, um, I have the opportunity and privilege to do on a pretty frequent uh, basis is that I get to sit down with people who are seeking some type of guidance on something. And so people want to get together and they'll want to talk through an issue or they'll want to seek direction or they'll have a, a problem that they're facing and they'll want to sit down and talk with me about that. And I always clarify, I'm not a counselor, I'm not a certified counselor, none of those type of things, but I'm a pastor, so I'm biblically trained. And so I always tell people, I, I can't, I don't, I, you know, I'm not going to give you the all ins and outs of what you should do, but let me just show you what the Bible says. And so what happens a lot of times is I'll sit down with someone and they'll tell me about their their situation or their, their issue or their problem or they'll tell me about their marriage or their relationship and what they're going through or whatever. And, uh, and I'll listen to them. And, um, and then finally, what I'll, I'll say is I'll, I'll just reiterate, hey, I'm not a counselor, not a professional counselor, but what I do know is what the Bible says and I know what you're talking about, the Bible says a lot about. So can I, can I show you what the scripture says? And, and so we'll go through and the best I can, I'll explain. I'll say, so here, here's what the Bible says. So, so here, I mean, here's what the Bible says about marriage. You know, I, I know what you're talking about. Here's what the Bible says about marriage. Here's what the Bible says about sexuality. Here's what the Bible says about um, conflict resolution. Here's what the Bible says about generosity or financial, you know, uh, what it means to be financially frugal or whatever, right? Uh, here's what the Bible says about biblical community. And I'll, I'll show them, this is what scripture says. And, and, and then I'll try my very best to explain it. And then I'll say, does that make sense? Do you, does, does that make sense? And the person will say, yeah, that makes sense. I'll say, do you agree with that interpretation that that's what the Bible says? And they'll say, yeah, I agree. I totally agree that that's what the Bible says. And I'll say, well, then awesome. I think that's what you should do. I think you should just do what it says. And I'll tell you, this happens so often. And it's not just with, with other, I do this too. I'll hear people say this. I know, but... And then they'll, they'll usually go on to tell me why their circumstance is somehow uniquely different and disqualifies them from the need to listen to what Scripture says. So, so someone will come in, again, example, I'll be like, you know, here's what the Bible, I, I hear, man, that's a tough situation. Here, let me show you what the Bible says about marriage. And I'll say, so I, do you agree with that? Yeah, I agree with that. Do you think that's what the Bible says? I do think that's what the Bible says. Okay, well, I think you should do that. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I know, but man, you don't know my husband. You don't know my wife, right? But... I, I know, but what, what if it doesn't work out? 
I know, but you don't know my, my and, and you can fill in your blank. And listen, what does it mean practically to say that Jesus is the light of the world? I think what it means is that for those of us who follow Jesus, we need to actively put this statement to death. I think it means that whenever there's a, a place where this is what God wants and this is what I want, and they are, they are opposed, they are in opposition and conflict to each other, I think what that means is that I recognize, okay, I'm in darkness. I don't, I don't, I am not the most qualified person to define and direct my own life. I don't know the path to joy, and he is the light. So I am going to follow him, and I'm gonna trust him, even though it makes no sense to me, even though it seems so countercultural, even though it's so, you know, kind of, it seems so paradoxical to the way that I think. I'm gonna listen to him, and I'm gonna follow him. And this, by the way, I think is exactly what the writer of Proverbs meant, Solomon, when he said this. He said, there's a way that appears right to a man or to a woman. There's a way that appears right to us. We all have something internally that tells us this is the right way to go. He says, but in the end, it leads to death. He says that if, there's, if, if we want to be the, the, the ones who define and direct our own lives and we simply base that on the internal compass that is within, it's gonna lead to death. That is the death of relationships, the death of all things that God desires for you, the death and decay of the fulfillment that God wants for you. And in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, he goes on, he says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. See what he's saying? Light doesn't come from within. The light doesn't come from within. It comes from outside of us. It comes from God. And all of your ways submit to him and he will do it. He will make your path straight. He will illuminate the way that you should go. Listen, I can just tell you this from a personal standpoint. Um, and I, I, I'm not making this up either. I really do mean this. It's not just like preacher talk. I actually mean it. I have found that in my life, that the times that I have found that there's a conflict between what I desire and what God desires, that the times that I have decided to just go my own way and just, not, and just ignore what God says and just be like, I'm gonna do whatever I want because I think that this makes sense to me. This is what seems right. Can I just tell you that without fail, that has become the foundation of all of the biggest regrets in my life. Every single one of them. And there's a lot of them, to my own discredit. And I can also tell you, on the flip side, that um, whenever there has been a time, whenever I found myself at that, at that uh, crossroads between what I want and God wants, and I've said, you know what? It doesn't make sense. I don't fully understand, and I'm a little scared but this is what God says. So you know what? I'm gonna do it. I'm just gonna do it. I'm gonna put to death my I know but. I'm gonna do it. You know what I found? And I'm just, again, I'm not making this up. 100% of the time, that has been the foundation of all, everything good in my life has come from that foundation, the foundation of just that predetermined, I'm gonna follow you, Jesus, whatever you say, that's what I'm gonna go with. Because why is that the, why is that the case? Because he is the light of the world and he loves you, and he wants to lead you to true life and to true light. I'm gonna ask the band to come up, and uh, as they make their way up, I think it would only be uh, fitting, I guess in, in, uh, in light of this conversation, to just ask you just one simple question, and, and just to, to kind of think about it together, and that's this. The question I wanna close with is real simple, is have you beheld Jesus as the light? And maybe, you, maybe you've sung that, maybe you've heard that, maybe you're familiar with that, but maybe it's never really registered. Maybe you've never beheld that. Wow, if he's the light, that means something. That says something about me and that says something about him and that says something about my life that has to change as a result of it. 
And maybe for you, you're a person that you've never really done that. You've never truly beheld the light. Because to behold the light is an admission. It's an admission that I am not the one who's most qualified to define and direct my life, that I am in darkness, and that any attempt to try to define and direct my life apart from God is ultimately gonna lead to greater darkness and confusion. And I'll be honest, for some of you, even when I say that, some of, some of you have embraced Jesus as the light and you're nodding your head. And some of you right now are deeply offended that I just said that to you. Like, who do you think you are to tell me I don't know what's best for my life? And like I said, when you begin to behold the light, you realize it is a double-edged sword. And for some people, it is the hope of salvation. And for some people, it is the stumbling block that they will stumble over. But you have to understand when, when Jesus says he's the light, that's what he means. That's what he means. And so I would encourage you, if you're a person that has never beheld Jesus as the light, I would encourage you not, not to just let that sit as a, as a peripheral item on your to-do list. I'll get around to figuring that out later. Now, if he's the light, this is of utmost importance. And so I would encourage you that if, if uh, you're a person that's never beheld Jesus as the light, and maybe today for the first time, it's making sense to you like it never has before, I would encourage you to embrace the light. I would encourage you to behold Jesus as the light and embrace him in those ways. And, uh, and, and by the way, to do that, there's not like any kind of like special ceremony or seance or anything weird like that, but just between your heart and God's heart, you could just talk to him and you can say, God, I, I want you to be the light of my life. I wanna give you, I wanna give you the reins to control and to be the one who ultimately has the power to determine what's best for me. I'm gonna trust you, I'm gonna follow you. And you can declare it to God today. And you know what's so awesome is the Bible says this in Isaiah nine. It says that unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. And the most beautiful thing about this light is that this light isn't earned. This light isn't something you have to work for. It's given. Jesus has, God has given you his son in Christ. And so you can receive that gift of light. Just come to Jesus today. I'd encourage you to do it. And for those of us who do follow Jesus, who recognize that Jesus is the light, well, man, that's what we celebrate. That's what Christmas is all about. It's that we are in darkness and God has sent a rescue team, that he has sent his rescue in Christ to come and save those who are deep in darkness. And so because of that, we have something to sing about. We have something to celebrate. And so I'd encourage you as we have a chance to sing here in just a minute, to sing loud and to sing proud, man, because we have something to sing about. Let's pray. Well, God, I just wanna say thank you so much for uh, Jesus, the light of the world. Thank you for sending a light, God. Thank you. This world is a dark place, and it seems like every advancement and every uh, you know, furthering of, 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 of society and human development hasn't squelched the darkness. We've just invented new ways to be evil. <laughs> I look at... I look at the advancements of technology and those type of things, God, and they're just, we're just inventing new ways to be evil. And um, not that those are bad things, but they're just not the hope of the world. It's not the hope of the world. But you are Jesus, and the way to overcome the darkness is found in you. And so I pray, God, that, uh, that you would help us today to embrace that, to behold the light. Lord, it requires an admission on our part that's not real easy to make, an admission that says that, uh, that we believe we're not the light that we believe that, uh, that any attempt to try to define and direct our lives apart from you is gonna just lead to greater darkness and confusion. And that's not an easy thing to confess, but it's true, but it's true. And to say that you're the light means that you're exclusively the way and that you're exclusively the way to life and to eternal life and to all that you hope 
for us, God. And so I pray that you would help us to just interact with you in this time that we sing and worship. Now, thank you for, for the light of the world in Christ that we celebrate here today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.